Hi there, Health Unchained listeners. I hope you are all enjoying the summer and taking some time to enjoy the extra sunshine. There are many reasons for us to be thankful when compared to last summer. Many businesses, conferences, and schools have reopened in person. Restaurant capacity is back to normal in most cities. Over half the United States is now fully vaccinated, and about 14% of the world population is vaccinated. There are some concerns over the Delta and Lambda COVID-19 variants, but the vaccines seem to be effective against major illness from the viruses. I hope you all stay safe and healthy out there. Please get vaccinated as it is proven to help mitigate extreme cases of COVID-19, even for the variants. I have a feeling most of my Health Unchained listeners are already vaccinated, so talk to your friends or family who are still hesitant about vaccinations. In the end, each person must make their own decisions, and hopefully sharing the scientific facts will help convince people to get vaccinated, if it's actually an option in their location. Uh, Before we get into the interview, I want to let you all know that I'll be attending the HIMSS conference in Las Vegas this year from August 9th through the 14th. I'll be with the rest of the Consensus Health team on the exhibition floor. If you plan to be there, let me know and we can connect either in the conference halls or hotel lobbies or bars. It's going to be an amazing week and I'm really excited. And now for today's episode, I spoke with a developer who has been developing dApps using the NEM blockchain protocol, which uses the Zem XEM coin natively. NEM is a blockchain ecosystem that actually started in 2015, and in 2017, there was a lot of excitement for this protocol. It didn't capture the same momentum as some of the other major projects out there, but there still is an active community of NEM developers, especially in Japan. On this episode, Gregory Save talks to us about his experience developing with NEM and how healthcare applications are being built on NEM. Gregory has also worked on the Symbol platform and the affiliated DHealth network. He also founded an online magazine called UBC Digital, where the community can orient themselves around blockchain development. I really enjoyed my conversation with Gregory, and I hope you do too. Remember, The Health Unchained podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only, and we are not providing any sort of legal, financial, or medical advice. Please do your own research and due diligence before making any important decisions related to these matters. And now, let's get to the show. Hi, I'm your host, Ray Dogan, and welcome to Health Unchained. On this show, I will be speaking with healthcare entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and executives who are using blockchain technologies to revolutionize healthcare. These innovators are building the distributed infrastructure and diverse communities required for a trusted, secure, and decentralized healthcare ecosystem. Enjoy the show. What is blockchain? What is blockchain? The doctor will see you now. Welcome to Health Unchained. Today's guest is Gregory Zave, longtime developer and founder of UBC Digital Magazine. He's also a big fan of football in Europe, but that's a big thing going on right now is the European championships. So um, Gregory, thanks for taking your time out today to talk to me. And I'm looking forward to having a conversation about some of the work that you've done on the NEM protocol mm-hmm. and also D-Health Network. So it's going to be an interesting mm-hmm. conversation, I hope. Sure. Thank you, Ray, for having me here. Yeah, as you introduced, uh, Gregory Safe. actually into football a lot since I grew up in Belgium and Played football a lot this time in the Euro Cup. We actually expected maybe a little more, but yeah, this talk's not going to be about football. <laughs> I think you talked, you mentioned it, healthcare, blockchain. I actually am the CEO of UBC Digital, and I also work for the D-Health Network as a blockchain lead, uh, which is a, a totally new network. I think we'll take time to talk about it later. Glad to be here. Thanks, Gregory. Can you also give a... Uh brief background about experience and like career so far? Sure. I'm a software developer. Actually started as a hobby. When I was 12, my dad bought a PC, a computer. I can't remember it was a Pentium 3 or Pentium 4, a very old PC. And I started, of course, programming very useless stuff, but programming and learning new programming languages with the age of 12. Of course, this is nothing professional, but this is a little bit where the career started. Then. Um, a bit later, of course, after school with 18, 19, I think with 20, I went to Paris 
And that's where the career really started about programming, uh, actually in a data mining business back then. The app I coded back then, I remember, was about service and data extracts. And you would think this the big data industry a little bit. And then, yeah, I started finding my way into open source, first with a small e-learning system called Elias in German, in Germany. And from open source is where I found my way into blockchain as well, freelancing mostly in the beginning, small product developments, and with the time also consulting for people, helping to use blockchain. But yeah, that's a little bit for the career introduction. <laughs> Awesome. Thank you for that. So when would you say you actually learned about blockchain technology and maybe even Bitcoin, for example? Really, that's about 2013, 20, about 2013, um, not doing too important stuff for Bitcoin, but um, having a look at the Bitcoin protocol and actually due to some customer losing funds on Bitcoin, actually using Tether back then, if I remember, I had to back up or I have to recover those funds. And that's really how I found out about this Bitcoin blockchain back then. Yeah, so about 2013, in about 2015 came the episode of NEM. And NEM is where I really focused most of my time on blockchain. Before NEM, with Bitcoin and Ethereum, I didn't focus so much of my professional software development time on blockchain and starting with NEM is where really 2015, 20, uh, mid 2015, somewhere there is where I started using blockchain mostly. Yeah. So that's really interesting to me because most of my guests are, you know, using other blockchain protocols to build their, their applications and things. So I'm wondering what was the reasoning behind using NEM for you or what was the value that you saw when considering NEM? Uh, as a freelancer, um, I was building software that was related to, again, a little bit of data mining, a little bit of service and uh, trying to value the data that your users actually give you. That's a little bit where I was heading already, working a lot with data. Data amazes me. And blockchain, NEM, kind of stood out, uh, well... After about two years of knowledge of Bitcoin, so I knew about Bitcoin and I knew what it was doing. I wasn't sure about all the technical details, but I knew what it was. And at some point I found NEM as a, a very easy blockchain solution to integrate actually. And that's how I, uh, I have to say it, I fell in love with NEM, sort of. Got yeah. it, okay. Um, I think, yeah. What would you say is the most important thing you are doing in the blockchain space? Most importantly, I'm trying to make blockchain real. And this is not even just a joke. Uh, making blockchain real is not so easy. It is very easy to actually create new smart contracts and create blockchain networks and tokens that have absolutely no value. But it is not easy to create one that is actually valuable and that has, like Bitcoin, intrinsic. So jokes aside, what I really do is trying to, uh, to do smart usage of blockchains, trying to integrate blockchains in business processes where blockchain actually makes sense, where it's going to improve your costs or of operations or where it's going to make a, a delivery process a little bit more transparent because the customer asks it or something like that. So trying to use blockchain in useful real life stories. That's a little bit what I try to do in blockchain most importantly, yeah. Got it. And we'll talk about those examples that you of the applications you built a little bit later in the podcast. But I also, like you mentioned earlier, you are the CEO and founder of UBC Digital. So can you also describe that organization for the audience since they might not be aware of it? UBC Digital is a company trying to make blockchain accessible for other companies. It's actually a website for blockchain developers. It's a website where I decided to author a few articles that are, uh, well, the aim is to try to get people to use the symbol from them, blockchain and the health network. And so, yes, it's a website for blockchain developers. And we are actually working on implementations of the symbol from them network and the health network using them for other product development. We also 
just printed an, an ebook about an integration of a symbol. It's called Symbol from NEM, The Return of the Ninja. If you actually buy the ebook, you're going to be ready to integrate the symbol from NEM blockchain um, as a developer. So that's mostly uh, what UBC aims to do, really, to form people to use the public blockchain of symbol. Got it. Um, so can you describe what symbol for the audience? Because this might be a new application or network and people might not be aware of what it is, when it started, how many people are involved. Can you give sure. some details about that? Sure. Yeah, maybe. Um, symbol actually started as Catapult. It wasn't called Symbol in the beginning. Uh, it was called Catapult uh, just about six months after the launch of NEM. Uh, in 2015, I think May 2015, and somewhere near October, November, was the birth of Catapult, which, after the successful launch of NEM, was trying to improve everything that we would be learning with NEM. So Catapult was the research project. It took about four or five years of research into Catapult, and also not just research and um, evaluate things, but also a lot of development from the core developers. Um, and really what Symbol is, it's a perfectization of NEM, let's say. It's an improvement of NEM. Um, we took uh, a lot of the learnings that we had from the NEM public blockchain. It's a public uh, blockchain environment everyone can participate in. Uh, NEM came with a proof of importance algorithm. Uh, it has a lot of um, innovation already in it, but Symbol comes in as a uh, optimized version of this, where a lot of stuff has been rethought completely, like state management uh, being done much more optimized right now. And for example, delegation practices have changed also to be much uh, more standardized. It's always the same kind of transaction. So symbol is what a symbol is really uh, an improvement of NEM. And NEM was already completely compatible with the enterprise, uh, enterprise blockchain usage industry, I would say. And so Symbol comes in as an even better uh, enterprise blockchain uh, that is actually compatible with pretty much anything private to public blockchain environment. You can create your own network. And that's what DHealth, for example, also did. We reused the Symbol engine and published a new public blockchain network out of Symbol that is called the DHealth network. Yeah. So a couple of things I want to address there. So you're saying Symbol is an enhanced version of NEM. Does that mean it's replacing NEM or is NEM, NEM, is it um, still not exists? Really. Okay. So they're both actually, existing really in parallel. Because NEM, exactly. NEM actually still exists. And this is interesting that you're asking this because in about 2020, last year, somewhere mid-2020, we started a, a NEM improvement proposal to actually launch the catapult, a first catapult public network. And that's where also in parallel, there was a complete rebrand of Catapult, such that Symbol would come out of that, and it's now Symbol from. And uh, in mid-2020, we actually researched how we could migrate most or pretty much whatever can be migrated from the old NEM network to the Symbol network. There was also one question about whether it should be, um, whether the result should be one network and NEM would completely fork into Symbol. Uh, but we, in the end, we decided against that because the compatibility was not perfect. And so if, if you would be doing this migration completely from NEM to Catapult, now Symbol, well, it would have broken some kind of verifiability and stuff. So we decided to fall completely, have another, uh, uh, another network. And so uh, it was a very, a very open process, actually. We designed a opt-in protocol for Symbol such that Pretty much everyone on this on the NEM network that would have old funds in XEM at a certain time uh, before a snapshot block would also be able now and before the snapshot block to actually claim an, an opt-in to receive XEM funds. So what we did is a, a migration from one old network NEM to the new network symbol, but uh, with the uh, very with the specialty that NEM still exists, NEM is still there and is completely fine, has been running for about five years. It's a public blockchain network. Everyone can use it. Symbol just comes with a few features on top where, for example, it's more easier to create blockchain networks with Symbol. Whereas with NEM, it would be it's easier to create software. Just maybe that's a small difference I could name here. Yeah. I see. That's interesting. And 
when I think of uh, NEM and compare it to some of the other major protocols that are doing smart contracts, I'm mm-hmm. thinking about like Ethereum or Cardano and things like that. Um, what are some of the differentiators when you compare think, it to think, those other I protocols? I think they're especially there, actually. Um, Ethereum very uh, inspired me a lot. I must say um, I learned a lot from all those smart contracts that have been developed. But myself, I never developed a smart contract uh, because I never felt the need for it. Uh, for my part, I don't use blockchain because I want to do money. I use blockchain because I see in blockchain there is stuff that can actually change how our society works and how business actually works also a little bit. It can make business a little more transparent, for example. And so, um, yeah, in Ethereum, it inspired me a lot to actually see this use case of uh, digital uh, of technology actually uh, run out like like Ethereum. It's a very big network. It's it's a true. I, I think Ethereum can be a very good tr- uh, source of proof because it's a very distributed network. Even though it has this very big blockchain uh, footprint, still Ethereum is a very big network, uh, of course. And so. Um, to the, con- to the concern of Cardano, I don't know too much about Cardano. Um, I've heard, of course, a few of them of their uh, implementation. And I have to say that for my part, I did a uh, hierarchical deterministic wallet research for them. And I mentioned a Cardano paper in there. And this, for me, actually means that they are doing uh, also useful research. Uh, because we are using one another. That's fine. Yeah, I just wanted to get a sense of um, your thoughts there. And would you be able to give us like a sense of the size of the network compared to um, other public blockchains, like the size of NEM in terms of maybe transaction volume and uh, just market cap of the entire network? Is that something that you can um ballpark estimate share with us and it'll change by the time people listen to this of course sure. but just wondering sure. um, that's something the market cap variable is a little bit less of my of my usual topic but still uh, nem is a coin that at some point i think somewhere late 2017 or late 2016 was ranked three on coin market cap and had like a three billion market cap or something like that so a lot of money, um, but when I when I tell you that I don't use blockchain for money, this is uh, exactly uh, what I mean. I I, I'm, I don't look look at a coin in terms of how much dollar value is it currently priced in, and because of that, I'm sorry, I cannot give you so much overview about the price of NEM and how much is it gonna be and uh, etc. But NEM used to be a very uh, a very well placed ranked uh, coin market cap. Uh, coin, so it, uh, it it did also develop a lot of uh, interest. For example, in Japan, there is totally uh, totally free new uh, dynamic type of markets where people there's actually people brewing coffee and selling it for XAM, for example. So the, this is a use case of NEM that I could name that happens in Japan because people understand free markets very well there. And because they also are up to date in terms of digital stuff, the scanning QR codes, etc., is completely normal in Japan. So people are used to those stuff, and they actually use blockchain for interesting, uh, interesting use cases. Um, and yeah, how big is NEM? How big is Symbol? Symbol and NEM are much more known in Japan and Asia generally. How big it is? It's hard to say. The network has like. 20,000 to 30,000 accounts, maybe 100,000 accounts if you count a few more for people uh, and about a million transactions that is uh, with, a, with a running time in just six months. Symbol is actually quite new, so it's very hard to give you such an estimate. As for NEM, it's, all, uh, it's five years old now, and so um, it is maybe a little easier to estimate there, uh, but I don't have too much of, those, uh, of this data about uh, I know that NEM uh, used to be a one-minute blockchain, so it, w- it used to create a block every minute, and um, the maximum count of transactions, if I can remember remember well, are about 120, which makes it uh, two transactions per second blockchain. But with NEM, this is very important. We don't want to just 
be a big image and have like, okay, we have 20 transactions per second, but in the end, you don't have all the uh, optimizations in terms of state storage and stuff that we researched in NEM. So NEM is not about nice numbers and being the biggest blockchain or something like that. NEM is really about the easiness and making it uh, easy, like a WordPress application, you would click to actually create your tokens on NEM. This actually defines NEM, I think the best. So if you ask me an estimate of how big is NEM, uh, NEM is so big that it is something like Lego. It's easy for you to learn because it's just about clicks. This would be my best answer, I think. Got it. And I did do a quick search mm -hmm. on coin market cap, and it's about 1.1 billion market cap for NEM. And, and I, I understand, like these, the price and the market caps are not really how we should be defining uh, blockchain networks and protocols. And, and I agree with you on that. Um, but I'm biased. I just, uh, I'm a I just wanted bit biased to... there too, right? Uh, my part, I've been working five years now with NEM. And of course, for example, Cardano or uh, even Waves or some other protocol, they've also done research. And they've, of course, also done very useful research for some part of it. Um, I think we'll come later to it. Something that is missing in blockchain is every team working together. There's a lot of blockchain developers, especially in Ethereum, for example, but they don't work together. They all work on their own stuff. So that's something we can maybe talk about later. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, everyone's got their, their separate projects. It is interesting. One thing that you mentioned earlier that I just wasn't sure about was the proof of importance mm -hmm. mechanism. What does that mean, actually, in them? And, and how is it important? You've, you've probably heard of uh, proof of stakes problem with making rich people richer. This is, of course, mm -hmm. one of the arguments that proof of stake usually makes uh, richer people rich because they just can't hold the... The funds and for holding it they are rewarded with more and of course the more you have you're going to have more rewards too um, with them a little bit of a different thinking this is definitely a problem proof of stake is a, a very good uh, algorithm very nice works very well but this is a problem so with them they thought about a proof of importance where that actually means you need to be active on the net and if you're not active on the network you're going to mine less blocks that's really what it means. So it's still a proof of stake network. It works with stake delegation, just like every other uh, blockchain network, uh, every other POS network, sorry. And, um, but we have this variable of importance on the network. And that actually means how active are you in terms of how many transactions do you actually create? If a whole month long, you don't create transactions, you will be mining less blocks because you didn't create transactions and you didn't pay fees to the networks and to the harvesters. So um, what is proof of importance? It's really, it's uh, evaluating your activity on the network and making that count in this uh, staking process. Yeah. I see, that's interesting. That is a, a different way of looking at it, I, I suppose. And that makes sense the, the rich are getting richer with proof of stake in it's, a way or at least the small mitigation of it. savvy people yes exactly yeah. and it's a small mitigation because uh the the fewer uh, you are active well the fewer you're going to mine and that means people are trying to uh, they are kind of incentivized to be active on the network and that really means um well that's of course good for the network sorry <laughs> right I mean, I could also see like if they're just incentivized to make transactions, they could make like um, dummy transactions to themselves and it would be like kind of pointless too, but we don't have to get into that. There's actually a right very now. technical uh, discussion we could have about that. Uh, NEM actually uses Eigentrust. It's an algorithm, well, not so old algorithm, um, uh, but it uses Eigentrust mm -hmm. to actually uh, recalculate the importance of your account. Eigen? Egen trust, I think it could be Egen could be the German word E I G E N. Oh, and then oh Eigen, yeah, 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 Eigen. Okay, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I know what you're talking about. Exactly, and so POI um, in NEM is very interesting uh, because it really factors in uh, the network network activity, and that will still simply mean that uh, dying accounts accounts that are left alone for years. They're just not going to mine that many blocks anymore after some time because they're not being account uh, they're not being active and uh, because of that they don't get enough importance on the network. Yeah.
Yeah. Welcome to the Health Unchained News Corner. Vaccine passports are getting more attention amongst travelers as COVID-19 variants swarm many parts of the world. On July 22, 2021, International Airline Reservation System Amadeus announced adoption of IBM's Digital Health Passport solution called IBM Digital Health Pass. The Health Pass uses IBM's blockchain technology to allow travel security agents to verify a traveler's COVID-19 vaccination status by simply using a QR code scan. Six airlines are using the system so far, including Air Europa and Air Canada. Other airlines using Amadeus can activate it in their systems as well. This avoids cumbersome and time-consuming checks while traveling and adds further reassurance to airlines and their passengers, explained Christian Warneck, who oversees travel safety at the Madrid-based Amadeus. Another digital health passport called Common Pass is already being used by JetBlue, Lufthansa, United Airlines on certain routes. However, Common Pass does not use blockchain like the IBM Digital Health Pass does. Using blockchain encryption, the IBM Digital Health Pass eliminates the need for collecting and storing personal data on a central database. Border agents only see whether the traveler is cleared for travel or not. For more information, check out the link to the article in the show notes. And now back to our episode with Gregory Save, NEM developer and founder of UBC Digital. One last uh, NEM question before we, well, I guess it's not the last one. So, <laughs> uh, but um, you did create a game on the NEM platform or network using uh, that. And you want to talk a little bit about that. And then I want to jump into the healthcare applications. I think that's yeah. going to be very interesting for the audience. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, PacNEM. Um, it's actually a hobby project. One of the first projects that I uh, that I uh, really implemented using blockchain. It's a project that I developed to showcase NEM. Uh, so I learned I learned a little bit about NEM, and it's always there's always this theory. Uh, of course, you're gonna learn about theory first. You're gonna see how does the blockchain work. How do you read about an account? How do you create transactions? But then comes practice. And uh, this is exactly what PacNEM solves. It's the practice part of using NEM. Uh, so uh, at the beginning of PacNEM, I was looking for ideas about how to learn working with the NEM blockchain. Um, PacMan, of course, being a classics game, the small catch on the name PacNEM, uh, that, that was actually enough for me to get it running. <laughs> the, the small catch, PacNEM, it was amazing. And I thought, okay, come let's just do it. Um, and I implemented a lot of features in PacNam, like for example, a high score that would live on the blockchain, which is a completely bad idea. You shouldn't do that. And PacNam proved this. PacNam proved that it's not a good idea to do it uh, because after not even two weeks of people playing, the high score was not queryable anymore because uh, the high score people were too, uh, too far in the future, uh, too far in the past, sorry. So there were a lot of interesting things mm -hmm. that happened with PacNam, but PacNam mostly served as a snippet library for other developers, people that are integrating NAM. In PacNam, they would find a lot of examples and a lot of documentation about um, how do you create your own assets? How do you create a transaction? How do you transfer an asset? How do you delegate your stake with NAM, et cetera? All stuff like that is implemented in PacNam. And really that, that's what it was. It was a showcase of NAM has a lot of useless implementations of blockchain. You should not use blockchain to store a high score, please, auditor. But um, PacNem can serve as an example library a little bit, yeah. And I'll put a link to the actual PacNem site if it's sure. still active. It's pacnem.com, but I can include it in the show notes for It's the actually a multiplayer PacNem game. And it has a few cool features, like actually, um, pay-per-view advertising. So when you join, uh, there, there's two types of playing. There's a sponsored play mode, and then there is a paper play mode. So this is one feature already, paper play. This actually means you're gonna pay some XEM to enter the game, right? You, you could think of a uh, of a slotting machine. You have to pay to play. Um, this is exactly the thing. You put a exactly. token in it. Uh, except yeah. that it works with tokens, yeah, exactly. And then the sponsored mode is different because it shows you a advertising. 
And for this advertising, because it has displayed the advertising for you, the advertiser actually uh, received back then uh, Pacnam tokens. And so, uh, yeah, the, there were a lot of such small integrations of tokens and uh, and and blockchain. And so um, that's was what was very interesting about it. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I can imagine a arcade, like in a, a real life arcade game. Um, where you can scan your QR code to pay to play. Well, exactly. Uh, with NEM, potentially, that's pretty interesting. Exactly. That, the future that's what of it was. That, that, that kind of feature was in there, but I have to say also that PacNEM was more of a hobby project, and because of that, it was not, um, it, it was not aiming for a uh, market uh, for yeah to go to market. Really, no. It was just there because I had this need to uh, code something with blockchain because I didn't have the practice too much. And with this, of course, I learned a lot of practice about how to use blockchain. And after that, I, I, I coded a lot of libraries and SDKs for them and for symbols. So it was very useful to actually code Technem. And for any developer that would be listening right now, do stuff like that. Try out blockchain. You're going to do a lot of mistakes, actually, when you develop using blockchain and you don't know how a blockchain works. You, you have to store your data completely differently with a blockchain because a blockchain network is a, uh, it's not to be compared to a database, like a lot of people say. A blockchain network is much more than that, much more than that. And so everything that you do with a blockchain network has, uh, in my opinion, has to be well thought, planned, um, and uh, this is really what I like to do about blockchain. It's trying to use it where it actually makes sense. Yeah. Right. No, I totally agree. And speaking of that, which, which kind of applications in healthcare have you seen being developed using them? And like, what problem were they trying to solve? Or are they trying to solve, really? So um, with NEM, actually, the didn't have uh, uh, the, the, the doesn't seem to be a finished product that is actually implementing them. But with the DHealth network here uh, that we just started, we secured partners like Roche, a very big uh, pharma company, and the University of Zurich, both of which are already looking into integrations of the network. And um, also, there is older DHealth projects that are using NEM um, to store certificates uh, data. But currently, they're still in the process of migrating to dHealth. So um, I don't know, Sentiva Health is a project that actually uses the NEM blockchain to store certificates data. And um, so they're, they're using NEM, but they're migrating over to dHealth right now. Implementations of healthcare, uh, of the healthcare industry using blockchain technology is still very young, I think. And so all of these partners are also still researching and having a look at stuff like zero knowledge proofs and trying to keep, of course, the privacy of patients' data and every certificate doesn't have to be on the blockchain. It has to be some kind of private too because people that want to certify something, doesn't, that doesn't mean that it has to be public on a public blockchain network. So all stuff like that also has to be researched. And I think everything... Um, in healthcare, there's a few very interesting use cases. Like, uh, of course, everyone has heard of track and trace of medication mm -hmm. or where the medication is tracked from A to Z when it lands in a, um, at the customer. And then other use cases like insurance uh, use cases. Of course, smart contracts make a lot of sense in insurance uh, use cases. And I think the healthcare industry is also going to benefit a lot from all these new IoT devices and wearable devices that we are now all. I actually have to say I have such a uh, I have such a digital clock on my armwares, and it actually counts my heart rate and stuff. So we're digitalizing a little bit, um, and I think all those things, all those wearable devices. They are also going at some point, some of them want to use blockchain in terms of getting safe data, getting data that is said to be true, for example, curated data using blockchain. Uh, there's a lot of uh, interesting topics that we could talk about there. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I think you're, you're getting at it right. It's all about trust in the network and trust between the multiple stakeholders that are participating in a certain like network or ecosystem. Um, right now, we have a lot of proxies and third parties that we have to trust. Um, mm -hmm. But in the future, we can 
kind of delegate that trust to a uh, blockchain a system. Network. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And that's, it's not easy exactly. because you still have you still have the human element involved in many of these sort of transactions. So there's still a lot of discussion about how exactly it'll work, like the technical details of how it'll operate. But sure, um, and I think I think it's actually very important to um, to mention this because in business, using blockchain in business, there is always going to be this problem. With blockchain, um, it is back to the the responsibility is back to the one that clicks and the one that actually owns this private key, right? So uh, this is always a problem where whenever you do business, you don't want one person to do something. You you have to delegate stuff in in, in more complicated structures and hierarchies like five people or three people, etc. And it's always about that. It's always about there is someone that actually take this responsibility to do that on a blockchain network and I think a lot of the interesting use cases that are currently being shaped, they also include some kind of identity in there, mm. especially in healthcare. Of course, if any patient uh, has to upload any kind of data, be it DNA or be it some kind of result of, uh, of an exam, of course, it's going to be linked to the identity, but there is always the specialty that you don't want to have this public on the blockchain. You have to be careful there. So not everything can be done in just one day. It's a lot of research that is actually going on in all these integrations. But I'm very, very excited for what's coming with healthcare and this digitalization using blockchain tokenization, for example, and all those things. They are very interesting to actually talk about Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, you, you did talk about DHealth Network for a little bit. Can you maybe elaborate a little bit more on what their vision is and the goal for that is and how exactly you're involved as well? Sure, yeah. Uh, DHealth, uh, DHealth Network actually offers public blockchain infrastructure for the healthcare industry. So what we've been talking about just earlier um, is what DHealth wants to offer. is this infrastructure that can actually be used by anyone. Um, to implement uh, healthcare applications. And so you have alliance incentives in multiple layers, such that uh, you're always rewarded for participating in the network. This, of course, takes a little bit of the NAM proof of importance algorithm back then. It's, it's now actually in symbol, it's now called proof of stake plus. So it still has this network activity variable. It's very uh, similar to proof of importance and the health uses that as well. So ultimately, um, patients' data and certificates, and then, of course, the one most talked about, like I said earlier, track and trace of medication, those are all steps and milestones that are currently already under investigations by some of our partners. D-Health works with, uh, under others, uh, Roche, and then uh, in, in Switzerland, and then the University of uh, Zurich. I'm actually yeah, planning so. to I'm planning to actually speak with the founder of D Health and uh, later this summer. So um, I'll definitely right. ask that question and learn more about it there. I just wanted to get your your sense of it. Um, so sure. thanks for that. Sure. Yeah. D Health. Um, I'm actually very excited for D Health because uh, yeah, as the blockchain lead, I um, I actually led this launch of the network and implementation of a wallet and explorer, etc. And so. I'm into all those small projects that DHealth is kind of working on currently. And it's very interesting to see all these uh, partners actually that want to uh, implement DHealth. And such a public blockchain infrastructure, really, it could be anyone that can actually map to it. You can use this blockchain network, whomever, whoever you are. And that's what makes it very exciting for me as a developer. Um, even myself, I can think about very useful healthcare things. And I can test them on the DHealth network. I can actually develop them on DHealth because it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a public blockchain network that is very easy to use. This is a capacity that comes, of course, back from NEM and Symbol. Uh, DHealth uses Symbol as an engine. It's the same kind of blockchain network. They can actually interoperate one another, Symbol and uh, DHealth, but that's a little less, uh, a little more technical and it's not as easy as I just said it. <laughs> yeah no i hear you there so as a developer what do you think are like the major challenges that other developers have when they're you know let's say they're interested in developing on blockchain they have an idea or maybe they don't even have an idea but they just want to practice what are some of like the challenges you've heard younger developers tell you or ask you about 
Sure, yeah. Um, most challenges are about this complexity that uh, is brought in through public key cryptography. Blockchain is all about this public key cryptography. It's very important to understand that part. Of course, uh, digital signature is based on those public key cryptography algorithms. And um, so, yeah, this, this is definitely one of the most uh, complex things to learn is that there is this private key. Um, it sounds very easy. It's, it's, a, it's a key that you have to keep private. But as a developer, you're going to be thinking about a private key as in you're going to generate a private key. And this is much more complicated than storing a private key. So <laughs> for, for developers, one very impo uh, important and very complicated thing is about cryptography in blockchain generally, because almost every blockchain network is based on digital signatures. And so one of the very important things to learn. And then depending on the network that you're going to use, depending on the blockchain protocol, for example, Ethereum comes with a learning curve of solidity. Uh, I'm not saying it's a big learning curve. I'm not saying it's complicated. I'm just saying Ethereum is special in that you're going to have to learn solidity. So it's something special you're going to have to learn for Ethereum. For Symbol, it's not like that. For Symbol, if, if you use C++, it's okay to do something with C++. If you use PHP, TypeScript, or JavaScript, or for example, then you can use those languages to actually map to the Symbol blockchain too. So uh, there is also now blockchain networks like Symbol and dHealth uh, that actually give you very easy HTTP APIs. And this is something that a lot of developers, I think, can relate to. An HTTP API is something that you can also call in your browser, for example. Symbol, I like to call NEM and Symbol the blockchains that you can read from the browser. And um, so this is also something very, in, uh, very important and very complicated in working with blockchain. It's how do you actually read this data in a blockchain? We say data is immutable in a blockchain and whatever is stored there is never going to be deleted. But can you actually just read it so easily? And when you're a developer, you're going to uh, find that, no, it's not that easy. You have to understand a few key practices, like what is serialization of data, which is actually not so complicated, but all those standardizations that have been uh, and buffer creations, et cetera, that have been put in together, they have been mixed. Uh, also, public key cryptography is one of them. And then you have this amazing technology that is, that is blockchain that lives on a peer-to-peer -peer network where all participants have to agree on some consensus uh, algorithms. So it's a very interesting mix that you have there. Hmm. How about the more soft skills for development? And I am sure these individuals, these developers aren't working by themselves. Like you mentioned, there needs to be like a team. They have to work together. So what are some of the challenges for them in terms of maybe finding jobs or um, just general things outside of the technical learning of the coding and the, mm -hmm. the software development? Sure. sure. I think their um, innovation is the problem uh, because uh, blockchain projects tend to be very innovative, trying to disrupt some kind of industry. And because of that, they're going to be very new on the market as well. And so it's going to be a lot of startups. And we already know from startups that more than 80% of them actually fail. And I believe in blockchain is exactly the same. It's just a lot of people trying to do projects with those blockchains and new blockchain networks also, uh, but not taking enough time to actually think about the, the other use cases. Can they actually map to that uh, network that you're creating? Are you just creating a coin because you want to make money of it? This is completely wrong, for example. Um, for my part, the doggy coin network doesn't have any substance in my eyes, but I'm a technical, of course, right? So I'm very biased and I'm never going to love a blockchain if it's just about the money. This is not why I'm trying to use blockchain. So, of course, um, for example, the DHealth network um, had another trial like two or three years before trying to actually implement those uh, use cases of healthcare. And this was much more complicated. It was found that um, actually developing those use cases is quite time expensive and uh, is always going to be very specific to the actual use case you're implementing. And so with the DHealth network now, it's a completely different step forward where we are saying, well, 
we want to have this, uh, we want to actually host this infrastructure and give it to, to the public so that everyone that wants to do stuff with healthcare, they have this infrastructure there. Actually, dHealth also has zero fee transactions, for example. I can send you dHealth without paying a fee. And this for development is stuff that is amazing, for, I can tell you. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, you know, Ethereum fees have been quoted as being an <laughs> issue recently. So that's a good point. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, this is also a good, uh, good time to talk about that. I think as the fees there has been very high, but it's also very important to say that fees are very important for blockchain networks. And I, I, I am not saying that the DHAP network would be fine with 100% of zero fee transactions. This is absolutely not the case. Uh, a, a well-run network, a, a smart network and safe network is going to have fees, of course, and people that mine are actually rewarded with those fees. So uh, the zero fee argument is something that I actually don't want to emphasize too much. It is great to have. We have those zero fee transactions. If you really need them in healthcare, for example, or for IoT stuff, mapping, etc., uh, but I don't think that zero fee is what you really need always because it doesn't incentivize people to actually block uh, mine your transaction. And, uh, but that's already technical again. Uh, don't want to yeah. go into too much details again. Yeah. Well, well, just one. So on that, if there are zero fees to transact, like completely zero, uh, not approaching zero, but actually zero, uh, what are the disadvantages? What are we losing because of that? Is it security? Or is it is it mining incentive? It's it's really the mining incentive. So okay. um, miners would basically accept your transaction if there's nothing on the network, right? If the network's completely calm and nothing's happening, no one is going to ask for fees because they already have a block fee and uh, it's fine like that. But if the network is used a lot and there's a lot of transaction currently going on. Well, fees are going to play a big role because your transaction is going to land at the end because it doesn't pay the miner to mine it. And, and so fees are actually very important in those blockchain networks. Um, and uh, so, yeah, what is the disadvantage of using those um, zero fee transactions? Uh, if you have a node, if you are running, operating a node yourself and you, you have a little bit of importance on the network, you're never going to have a problem with your zero fee transactions. Because from time to time, you are going to mine a block. And because of that, your transaction is going to be confirmed. So um, for, zero, for node operators, zero fee transactions are just a little bit less incentive. As soon as a zero fee transaction comes in, this is a transaction that you are actually broadcasting to the network. So you're having a bandwidth footprint, of course, but you're accepting zero fee for it. Uh, I, I don't think that... Uh, everyone in the community is going to accept zero fee, to be honest. This is something that partners are going to accept, partners from dHealth, because for their use case, for their implementation, zero fee is important. Because for example, a track and trace of medication, for every step that it, that it runs on the, on the delivery process, it shouldn't pay fees. Uh, because this is gonna be very expensive if it, if it has to pay fees for every step in the delivery process. And so I can think about use cases where zero fee is going to be very important, where they need this node that is running and there's going to be a few more of those, uh, but they need this, these few nodes that actually accept zero fee because the use case actually uh, is uh, needing them. But uh, yeah, I don't think zero fee is something that everyone would want exactly. Right. Uh, and that makes sense, especially when I think about maybe more private blockchain networks or you know ones that aren't totally open uh, because the node operators will just eat the costs of running and operating the nodes because the value that they get from keeping the overall network running is higher than you know their their costs to run it exactly. so it's okay for them they're not looking for the fees to make money they're incentivized by operating the network for other reasons Exactly. Actually, there's a special also block reward ensembled exactly for that and for dHealth. When you run a node in dHealth, you're always going to get some kind of fees, whatever block you mine. So um, that's also why uh, zero fee transactions are at all possible. Um, and it, it, it's actually it, it's actually not a problem to have like five nodes in the network that accept zero fee. 
And every other nodal network doesn't accept zero fee. This just makes it so that those zero fee transactions in very high throughput times, it's possible that they would take longer. But if you don't pay fees, I think it could be fine to not be accepted right away. Usually it's a trade-off that you can make. So uh, yeah, zero fee, I'm, I'm totally excited about it because I'm a developer and I've used it now. I, I've used this blockchain where uh, when I want to send a few DHP to someone that is just in front of me, I can do it without paying a fee because I, I am myself running a node that of course will uh, confirm the transactions. Um, this is the very interesting uh, thing as a developer, when you don't pay fees, well, that means you can automate it a little bit too. And that makes it interesting. Yeah. yeah just one of the, another one of these very interesting technical specs um, or variables that impact the overall blockchain network. Um, so that was a very interesting kind of technical discussion. I think we had, I, I really loved it and I really appreciate everything you've shared with me. Actually, I have to say, Ray, I took a lot of notes before this podcast, but <laughs> I didn't, I didn't actually read much of those. Oh no. Um, well, it's all for the preparation. Very, no, exactly. There's a lot of uh, preparation that went into this, but, um, when you ask me those good questions in the end about blockchain use cases or about, of course, my career, and I can talk about it without actually having those notes. So very interesting as well for me to be here today. Um, I actually hope that we're gonna have a, a follow-up session and, and talk even more detailed about healthcare. Um, yeah, that, that's I hope really so what as well. I can do best. <laughs> yeah, and I think uh, I actually have a few more like more personal or, you know, end of the interview kind of questions I want to share. Mm -hmm. um, so, and I kind of share this with a lot of my other guests as well. I think they're thought provoking. So what are your thoughts about the singularity that is supposed to happen in the year 2045? And what do you think about that? Uh, who knows? Who knows? Maybe blockchain is the solution to human immortality, no? After all, I'm not sure. Blockchain is immutable. We are trying to be immortal, but <laughs> my, my rational thoughts here, uh, when you're asking this question about singularity, my rational thoughts really, they tell me um, humans should first learn how to digitalize stuff correctly and stop playing with doggy tokens before we can think about singularity. But very interesting topic, uh, especially in the, in the identity industry, of course, uh, thinking about everything distributed and, uh, well, that doesn't mean immortal, of course not, but uh, we are used to talk about blockchain, about something immutable. And I believe maybe at some point there's gonna be some kind of data integrity bridge on a blockchain that, uh, I don't know, makes DNA unforgeable or something like that, who knows? Uh, could be yeah. interesting, yeah. <laughs> That's a really interesting, actually, 20, point. 2045, that gives us 24 years from now. We that's could a, actually live that. That's, that's interesting. It's a long time. It's actually a pretty long time if you think about it. Um, but it, also, very, it, it happened very quickly. Yeah. It, it is, but I, I think it's, it's uh, livable for me, maybe. So I'm looking forward, actually. Yeah, I hope <laughs> to also be alive. I want to see it. I want to go back to this episode and listen to your answer and then <laughs> tell you... Uh, who knows? Who knows? That would be nice. Yeah. <laughs> so, Greg, if you had to have a microchip implanted in your body, where would you want it to be implanted? Oh, uh, well, I made some thoughts about that. And in doubt, I just go with my wrist. Mm -hmm. the, the reason is simply um, that I, I use my hands daily to code software. <laughs> who knows <laughs> that chip may augment that part of the body and make it more performant maybe right mm -hmm. so if, if that microchip is just about getting my heart rate though um i think it's better there's there's better tools to do that and so i would actually go with no chip then you know so a microchip is a is something that you're implanting in your body um and I believe should only be done if it actually has some kind of use. Uh, that, that is what I'm trying to point out yet, uh, here. Yeah, I hear you. If, if you absolutely need it, need you know, it. you'd put it yeah, in your wrist sure. maybe, but um, you prefer not to have computers inside your it. body. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to avoid it. Yeah. 
What's your favorite way to keep in shape? You know, you know, during the pandemic, uh, you were probably staying in home more than uh, usual. So what were some of the ways that you stayed active and healthy? Well, during the pandemic, yeah, football was not possible. And so, um, well, I, I'm a very happy person on that side. I live in Mallorca, which is a, an island, uh, and I live uh, very near to the sea. So pretty much every day, we used to take a, uh, a very long walk. I know that's not specifically sport, um, but um, in times of uh, Corona, that was just enough when in Mallorca it was allowed. And then there were also these six months where we had to completely quarantine at home, everyone. So in this time, it was more about trying to actually move around because I'm a developer. So I sit at my desk like 80% of the time and trying to move around in the house. Um, yeah, I wasn't very creative there. I played football in my house. That's how I tried to move my legs. <laughs> You got to yeah. do what you can. It's it's hard. It's definitely a challenge. Um, exactly. But for a developer, I have to say, I'm I'm so often at home. Uh, actually, I'm doing my work from home for so long uh, now that for me, it was completely normal to be at home all this time. And so Corona did have an impact. Of course, Corona did have an impact. But in terms of staying home, I'm already used to that. Yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure a lot of developers are also in your situation. Like for them, it was now they don't have to go to the meeting once a week anymore or whatever they can yeah, stay home exactly <laughs> for, for the whole time do you have a favorite book that has really influenced you oh uh yes yes i do uh it's actually called clean code by robert c martin i think and it taught me a lot about software development and agile software de development and then about documenting my code and Moreover, also really, it improved my coding skills. So clean code um, teaches you a different way of looking at your code. It teaches you that your code, if it is really clean, um, it can be read without documentation around it. And this is a very important knowledge. If your code is simple enough, then it doesn't need all the comments around it. If your code is too complicated, sometimes it needs comments. Of course, I'm not saying that comments are not good. I'm not at all. I'm just saying that a beautiful code, clean code as introduced in this book, um, uh, it's usually code that can be read out loud very easily. It's simple code that has been well thought through, etc. So um, this book is very important for my career. Clean code, I think I bought it whew, somewhere. 2015 maybe uh, or 2014 when stuff started to be very professional around programming and so yeah this worked interesting i'll make sure to include that in the show notes as well for the audience to check out awesome well gregory this has been a really awesome and very technical conversation which i like and i'm sure that a lot of the developers that are listening will appreciate so thank you for all that um, I want to say, is there anything else you want to share with the audience before we kind of end it here? Yes, actually, if you appreciated this, if you like this kind of technical talks and uh, usage of blockchain, with my ebook that I just printed a few uh, one month ago now, symbol from them, the return of the ninjas, it's on Amazon and it actually includes riddles on the blockchain. So on the symbol block uh, symbol from them blockchain, public blockchain, there is riddles. Um, they're not going to unlock any funds because it's not about the money. It's just about the laugh and it's just about the usage of the blockchain. So you're going to find pictures on the blockchain actually. Um, and, uh, you're going to find hash and uh, special assets that are created just for the riddles. But yeah, my, my takeaway here would be have a look at my ebook. This is going to train you to use blockchain maybe to create riddles and create small games that actually integrate with blockchain. And uh, then we can see each other on the D-Health network doing some real life integrations for the blockchain, uh, for the healthcare industry. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you, Ray. Uh, very awesome, yeah. Hey, all you cyberpunk health warriors and nimble digital disruptors. 
check out healthunchained.org. And remember to subscribe to Health Unchained on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and iTunes. Join the Health Unchained community on our Telegram group, t.me slash healthunchained. If you enjoyed this episode, tell your friends, your bosses, your teams, your students to listen and subscribe. Thank you.